It wasn't too terribly long ago I did some sermons based out of the first two or three verses of Romans chapter 12, talking about being living sacrifices and how we go about doing that. Uh, I've also preached and taught before from the section on many gifts but one body and how we as the church are supposed to come together and use our, our different individual gifts and abilities. And this morning we're going to be looking beginning in verse 9 down through the end of the chapter. Uh, this particular Bible, whoever edited it, they've got a topic heading called Christian Ethics. Some of you may see Holy Living. Uh, what I'm going to call this is No Phony Christians. I like that. That's catchy. That kind of sticks with you. Uh, James chapter 2, especially in verse 26, James paints this very vivid picture about what it means to have true faith in Christ. And he comes to the conclusion in verse 26 that if you claim to have faith in Christ and your life doesn't physically demonstrate that by the things you do and say, then your faith is dead. He said, even demons believe in God. Demons have a faith that God is real and Jesus is who He is, but they're still lost forever. He's like, if you have a faith and you don't live it out, then you're no better off than the demons. Now, let's make it perfectly clear, because earlier on in Romans, Paul makes it very clear that we are not saved by the things we say or the things we do. We're only saved by grace through faith. But James says, if you claim to have that faith and you call yourself a Christian, your life better look like it. The things you say better match what you say you believe, and the things you do should demonstrate it. Earlier we heard the passage of the sheep and goats read before Sunday school. Jesus was teaching that the way you tell the difference between legitimate followers of Christ, legitimate disciples, and ones who are faking it, by the things they do. Jesus tells that story. He says, I was... Thirsty, you didn't give me something to drink. I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I needed clothes, you didn't clothe me. I was in prison, you didn't come visit me. And these people are like, when did we ignore you? And he said, whenever you ignored the least of these, you ignored me. And he sent them away. And that's pretty frightening. There are a lot of people, I was talking over with some of the guys this past weekend. We talk about this kind of stuff all the time. And hopefully you have these conversations. I hope every single one of us in here, if we call ourselves a Christian, we want to be a legitimate Christian. We don't want to be phonies. And Paul gives us some pretty clear, I guess, warnings, things we should take to heart. I do want to share an interesting illustration. In the first century when this was written, pottery was essential, clay pottery. They used it for everything. It was just a part of their daily life. Whenever archaeologists go and dig and they, they find different things, almost always they find pottery. One of my professors, Kevin Larson, goes over and digs over in Israel. and They were digging this past summer and they found some pottery with inscriptions. So every time you dig in this particular part of the ground from this time period, you see pottery everywhere. Well, just like today, back then, people were hucksters. People were con artists. And you could go to the, the market in that day in the first century looking for pottery because you would need this stuff. And you would see a sign on some of these things, and I'm, I may pronounce this wrong, but it was sine sera. And that meant that there was no wax or that this pottery was without wax. And what that let the buyer know was that this pottery had not been broken and fixed. There weren't cracks because what they would do is they would take imperfect pieces of pottery or pottery that had been repaired, and they would seal it with wax. And then they would paint over it and they would sell it off. Well, when you saw this sign, you knew that it was genuine. It, it wasn't fake. And we see the same kind of stuff when we go to the store, right? Especially if you're looking at food. 
If you're health conscious, you want to make sure your food doesn't have preservatives, you may see things like 100% pure. You see that on orange juice and apple juice. 100% pure. All natural. Now, I understand the advertising industry has ways they, they go around that, but those words are supposed to ensure and give you some confidence that what you're consuming is real. It's not fake. It doesn't have preservatives and additives. The word we're going to look at here in just a second, and I'm going to try to pronounce this word. It's a Greek word. Anupakrateus. And I may be saying that wrong. It's a, fun, it's a big, long word, but anupakrateus. It means no hypocrites. Literally what it means is this is pure. This is genuine. This is, this is sincere. So I want to read beginning in verse 9 of chapter 12. And depending on your translation, I think the NIV says, let, let your love be sincere. That's this worse. Anupakrateus. I'm reading from the CSB, so it's going to actually spell it out. It says, let your love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Because it is written, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. And in verse 21, do not be conquered or overcome by evil, but conquer evil with good. Paul says you can tell a true believer by the way they live their lives. Why is this so important to us? Well, speaking, unfortunately, from experience, that means I'm talking about myself, it's easy to fake it. I don't know if you realize that, but it's easy to fake being a Christian. At least it is here in America. If you live in a country where it's illegal to be a Christian, if you live in a Muslim country and it's illegal to be a Christian, it's a lot harder to fake being a Christian when they say, well, we're going to take you out and cut your head off. It's easy to fake here. It's easy to put on a mask. The word hypocrite is from a Greek word, and it was an actor who walked out on a stage and played a part, and typically they wore masks. So a hypocrite is one who walks out on a stage in front of everyone, performing in front of everyone, and they change masks. And that's what the word has come to mean. Paul says our love for one another, and love defines who we are as Christians. There's an old Christian song that says, they'll know we are Christians by our love. He says, our love for one another, for our neighbors, even for our enemies, which is the part that I don't necessarily like all the time. He's like, but our love that comes from Christ, in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, John talks a lot about the love of Christ. And if we claim to love Christ and claim to have the love of God in us and we don't show it to other people, we're liars. He says, when we love one another, when we're practicing our faith, we need to be genuine. We don't need to be actors. 
We don't need to be walking out in front of everyone, performing, putting on masks and pretending to be something that we're not. Lest you say, well, this is just Paul talking. Jesus didn't address this kind of stuff. Oh, very clearly Jesus addressed it. He talked about praying in public. And he's like, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the Pharisees that stand up and say all these big words and try to impress people. When you're fasting, don't make a show of it. Jesus says you, be, you should be sincere. You should be real. You should be genuine. The best definition I've seen for this word there says, don't wear a mask. Let your love be without mask, without pretension, without faking it. It's so easy to fake it. And what does it look like when we're real, when we're genuine, when we're sincere? It says we detest evil. Do you know what the word detest means? You nod, shake, detest. If I say detest, do we all know what we're talking about? I detest raisins. I do. I detest cayenne pepper. That's a joke for the new beginning, guys. If you detest something, it's beyond not liking it. There are things that I don't like that I'll tolerate. I detest spiders. I hate them. If I see one, I will kill it. I know it's God's creation, but if I see a spider, it's going to die. I detest. Paul says we are to detest evil. We are to detest the things of this world that we know are contrary to what God's rule says. And there are all sorts of lists all throughout the Bible. Paul has them in almost every letter. The things of this world, the immoral things, sinful things, we're not supposed to just not like them. They are supposed to turn our stomach. When we even think about it, it's supposed to make us sick. To even think about those kind of things, much less take part in them. We are to detest evil, stomp it out, kill it. If it's in our life, we're supposed to crucify it. Paul talks about crucifying that stuff and getting rid of it, killing it. That's what Romans 12.1 is talking about, being a living sacrifice. You kill that stuff. You don't want to have anything else to do with it. And then it says, cling to what is good. I preached a sermon not long after Jeffrey was born, my oldest son, so this has been well over 20 years ago, and it was from this passage. And the illustration I used about clinging to what is good, Jeffrey would have been about six months old at the time, and I took him to a babysitter every morning, and I would hand him to the babysitter, and he would grasp me for dear life. Now, the lady that babysat him was wonderful. He got along fine, but he didn't like letting go of dad. And even at six months, he could cling pretty tightly. And that's the image there. We're supposed to be so far removed from evil that it turns our stomach and makes us sick. And we're supposed to be so close to goodness, holiness, that we cling to it for our dear life. Verse 10 says, We love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. I believe some translations say, Be devoted to one another in love. Devotion is one of those things that we talk about, we use that word, but you don't really see good examples of it in our world. What does it mean to be devoted to something? Acts 2, right after Peter preaches that sermon and all these people come forward and are baptized, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to meeting together and doing all these things. And it said they did it every single day. That's what devotion means. 
devotion, whether it's to serving God or devoting yourselves to loving one another and serving one another, it's not a once a week thing. It was their everyday practice. It was their lifestyle. Going back to Romans 12.1, it is a living sacrifice. Now we can probably all say we like the people in our congregations and we love the people, but are we truly devoted to one another? Are we invested in them? Are we really concerned? Do we really care? Do we really consider themselves more important than ourselves? Because that's what Scripture says we're supposed to do. We're supposed to humble ourselves and consider others more worthy. We're supposed to seek the good of others before ourselves. Jesus summed up the entire Old Testament in two commands. Love God more than anything else. That's the detesting evil and clinging to what is good. And then he says, love others. And that agape love means you're willing to lay down your life. Jesus even said that. Greater love has no man than this that he does what? Lays his life down for his friends. And then he tells his apostles, you're my friends. And he demonstrated it. And we're supposed to do the same thing. We're supposed to love without mask. And that's hard. Because it's so easy to fake. Just look at social media. You can go on Facebook and create as many accounts as you want and be whatever you want. On Instagram, Twitter, and all those. And I'm sure there's ones that the younger kids know that I don't even know because I'm old. You can fake an identity online and be whatever you want. And unless the people really, really know you, you can get away with it. And a lot of people go through their lives. A lot of Christians go through their lives pretending. We were even talking about this earlier this morning before we came over here. I don't even know that some of them even realize that they're not real. Now, obviously, there are people who are faking it, trying to win the approval of others. They don't really believe it. But there are people, Scripture seems to suggest, that go through their entire lives and they think they are serving God, and in the end, they really aren't. You have the parable of the sheep and the goats. You have another one, Jesus says, when people come before the Son of Man and they're going to go, didn't we cast out demons in your name and prophesy in your name and heal in your name? Didn't we do all that stuff for you? And Jesus, you know what He says to them? I never knew you. They thought because of their religion. The Pharisees of Jesus' day were that way. They thought they had it all figured out because they were living the right way. And mark my words, I'm not saying that we don't live the right way. But they thought that's all it meant. In Matthew 23, Jesus said they were a bunch of hypocrites, whitewashed tombs. They looked nice on the outside, but inside they were dead. And there was nothing there. Jesus tells a parable about the wheat and the tares that grow up one next to the other. And in the beginning, you can't tell. Acts 4, in this revival, you see people selling everything they have and bring it forward. You see a guy named Barnabas. A shining example of how to live as a Christian. His name actually means son of encouragement. And all these people are bringing stuff in front of everybody and giving it to the church. And you see a husband and wife named Ananias and Sapphira who come up and do the exact same thing that everybody else is doing, but they were deceitful. They were misleading. In fact, the, the apostle said that they had lied to the Holy Spirit. And you remember what happened to both of them? First of all, he drops dead. And then as soon as they get him out, his wife comes in and she does the exact same thing and she drops dead. Because they weren't genuine. They saw how easy it was to fake it. And I already said, I can speak from experience. Unfortunately, I lived a lot of my life just faking it. 
I did all the religious stuff. I went to church. I did these things and I thought I was okay. But was I really devoted to my brothers and sisters? Was I really devoted to Jesus? And the answer was no. Verse 10, the second part of that, after he says, love one another deeply, be devoted in love. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. And that's not so that people pat us on the back. It's not a competition. But when we see others living holy lives, it should spur us to live holy lives as well. In a sense, it is a competition, but we're all going to get the same prize. It's the crown of life for those who endure. And when you see other believers living it and being real, I don't know about you, but that motivates me. Aren't you encouraged when you see people that you just can tell? They're real. They've got it. That encourages me. It motivates me. And that's yet another reason for us to do the same thing because it encourages and it motivates others. Verse 11 says, Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. This is more than paying lip service. It's just more than being religious. It means that your very core, your DNA, is all about Jesus. All about loving God and loving others no matter how you have to. Verse 12 says, we rejoice in hope together. And that hope we, we know is the fact that one day Jesus is going to come back. That's our hope, the resurrection. That's what should motivate us. That's what should keep us going is because we have the hope. And every time we think about the fact that one day Jesus is going to come back and the dead and Christ are going to rise, we should rejoice. We should celebrate. I like that part. I don't like the next part because it says... Be patient in affliction. The reason and the way we can be patient in affliction is because we do have that hope. You ever just having one of those bad days and like, oh man, I don't know if I can get through this. Why should I even bother? Well, why do we bother? Why do we bother being devoted to one another? Why do we bother following Christ? Because we have hope that in the end, it's all going to make sense. Everything we're going through now, we may not get the answers here. We may suffer while we're here, but we can have hope because Jesus was raised from the dead and that's what's in store for us. And we just need to be patient and trust God. I've slowly learned that being impatient is more than just a character flaw. Being impatient means my trust is lacking. Because if I truly trust God, I can endure. And like those letters in Revelation to the churches, it says those who endure, who suffer, there's a crown of life waiting. And then it says, be persistent in prayer. There's a neat story about a woman in the Bible that goes before this judge. There's just injustice been served and the judge just keeps dismissing her. And she keeps coming back and coming back and the judge keeps sending her away and she keeps coming back to the point where he's nagging her. And the judge says, you know what, I'm just going to give her what she wants and get rid of her. Now God does not treat us like that. But the lesson is that she never gave up. Even when she failed, even when it seemed like everything was conspiring against her, she never stopped. We need to be persistent in prayer. We need to pray without ceasing, always giving thanks to God. Verse 13, we need to share with the saints and their needs. Pursue hospitality. I like the way that's worded. If you pursue something, you're chasing after it. You're going to run it down until you catch it. And Paul says... 
We need to pursue hospitality to one another. We need to seek out every possible way we can to make others' lives better. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. It's another one's kind of hard. But you see our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who face real persecution that can really, really show us how to do this. It would be hard for me to bless someone who's about to kill me for my faith. But you see it time and time again, these examples of our brothers and sisters who were martyred. And they thank God. And they pray for those who are persecuting them. Stephen in Acts, the first Christian martyr, as he's literally being stoned to death, he repeats Jesus' words from the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Sometimes I have to remember what Paul says. Our enemies aren't flesh and blood. They're spiritual. And sometimes they get focused on the person. Oh, I don't like that guy. Look what he's doing. I forget that guy's not the enemy. He's under the influence of the enemy, but that guy's not the enemy. Instead of praying for that guy's death, I should be praying for that guy's soul. And that's a lot easier to say than to do. Trust me. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That's just our human nature. That's compassion. We were talking about this this weekend. It blew my mind to find out what the word compassion really means. you know what it means? It means to suffer alongside of. We think of compassion as, as doing something good for somebody or being generous, and that's part of it. But it literally means to suffer with. Jesus had compassion on humanity. He suffered along with us. Hebrews says he still understands. And we are supposed to suffer alongside those who suffer. And do everything we can to cease the suffering. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Harmony doesn't mean you always do the same thing and get along. Harmony on piano is where you play more than one note. And they come together and make a unified noise. They're still different notes. They're still different tones. But when played together the way they're supposed to be, you have harmony. If you play a bunch of notes and they're not in harmony, it's discordant. You can tell. If you just randomly hit a bunch of notes, it's kind of jarring. And that's the way we're supposed to live. We are different. We're made differently. We have different desires. We have different needs. We have different opinions. But we can live in harmony. If nothing else, you can look at the world today, the political stuff going on right now, and find out real quickly, we have differences of opinions. But we can have different opinions and still have harmony and unity when we are devoted to one another in love and when we don't consider ourselves better than others. Don't be proud. Associate with the humble. Don't be wise in your own estimation. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. I like the way this word is, give careful thought. Think about it. Ponder it. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Even non-believers. Scripture says we should live lives that are so righteous that even unbelievers go, wow. We're supposed to let our light shine that so people see our good deeds and praise God, not us. And it requires to think about it, to ponder the things we're going to say and the things we're going to do. Before you put something on Twitter or put something on Facebook, think about it. Look at it and say, how is this going to affect people? How are people going to read this? Not just the people who agree, because they're going to be people who agree and like and share and all that mess. 
But how is this going to affect those people who I say I love that don't agree with me? Is it going to cause pain? Is it going to cause hurt? Is it going to cause disunity? And if it does, that's, guess what you need to do? Delete it and don't do it. But consider it. Think about the things you're going to say and the things you're going to do. Do not be wise in your own estimation. You ever realize at some point you did something or said something and afterwards you go, well, that wasn't smart. <laughs> seemed like a good idea at the time. I wasn't as smart as I thought I was. And then verse 18, the key verse here. If possible, as far as it depends on you, and there's the, there's the catch right there. There are some people you just cannot get along with. They will poke you and prod you and stir things up and try to get a rise out of you. There's nothing you can do about that. The thing you can do about that is ignore it and stay away from it and don't get sucked into it. But it says, as far as it depends on you, the things you say, the things you do, live at peace with everyone. That word, and it's a Greek word, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce this one, but it actually means to bring peace. It's the same word that Jesus used. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, those who make peace, who bring peace. It's the same word Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 13 where he says, live at peace. It's the same word he uses in 1 Thessalonians where he says, make every effort to be at peace. And it's my responsibility. It's not yours. It is in your life, but in my life, it's my responsibility. I need to look for every single possible angle I can to make peace. And then verse 21, and this is how we'll close. Do not be conquered or overcome by evil, but conquer evil by doing good. He even says, bless those who persecute you. Pray for them. You know what hurts your enemy much more than punching them back? Praying for them. He says it's like heaping burning coals on their head. Let God take care of it. God says, that's my job anyway. You just love them. You just keep on doing what you're supposed to be doing. You just keep on living without a mask, being genuine, being sincere, and being devoted to one another. And I'll take care of all this other stuff. And I'll just tell you this morning as we close, that's hard for me. Because I have opinions. Believe it or not, I have some pretty strong opinions about things. There are things that I think I am right about and I think other people are wrong. And this also may surprise you, but I like to tell them. And I like to prove it. But sometimes, I need to be quiet. I need to carefully think about it. Is this really, is this response carefully constructed to bring peace? Or am I just throwing gasoline on a fire? And so many times I've made the wrong choice. I look back on it later and said, oh, that wasn't smart. Can't say I get it right all the time, but I'm trying. That's one of the good things about the Holy Spirit living within us. The Holy Spirit will help us bring peace and bring love to one another. I'll close by just repeating it one more time. Let your love be without hypocrisy, without mask. Let it be genuine. Let it be real. Let it be sincere. Detest what is evil. Detest the things that are contrary to God and cling to what is good. Let's pray.